gonna commence the spooking. I know, but I'm officially. Do 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 do. Spook up. Spook up. <laughs> 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 yeah. Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Uh, had a nice weekend uh, in a cabin by the coast, celebrating my partner's birthday. Now we've returned, and I have a tall glass of lot, tall glass of wine with me, and I'm going to sip on it gradually. During the course of this performance, will I finish the glass? I don't know. Maybe I'll just have one sip or two. I'll leave the audience of the stream in suspense. And if you're listening to the audio of this, I don't know, maybe I'll narrate it. where I improvise horror stories, I pull random titles from a hat, and then I make up the stories from there. And if you have any titles to submit, you can submit them to quarantinespookshow at gmail.com. In the meantime, the spook vortex has opened, so let's see how the spookiverse is doing. Has opened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, wine sip number one and two and three. All right, this first story is called Sprummer Squash.
Like all things unnatural. This primer squash, squash was created in a lab. There's a lab on the outskirts of Idaho. Scientists often worked at it in the dead of night. The term was coined uh, during the height of climate change when the weather was getting a bit finicky and the weather was getting hotter and the difference between spring and summer became less distinguishable so the scientists were just like oh well what do we call it spring squash or do we call it summer squash and then a man with a cigar sitting at the corner of the room said how about we call it Sprummer squash. The other scientists didn't quite know why that sounded so dark. But they were like, okay, Sprummer squash. The doctor with the cigar was named, uh... Uh, Dr. Uh... Dr. Uh, Points. Dr. Point, uh, had a bit more insidious plans for this rummer squash. You see, the scientists, uh, worked on the squash as something people could grow, uh, when climate change was starting to ravage the earth. But Dr. Point wanted, wanted to do something more with it. tell anyone else about it. But they worked on the squash day and night, optimizing it to the best of their ability, trying to create a squash that can grow in any kind of condition, whether it was uh, the dead of winter or the height of summer. So it could grow anywhere in the world compatible with all types of soil and every time of the year. And then when the squash was harvested, it could last all year round. several years of work, they succeeded in creating the perfect squash that could grow in any time of the year, in any region on the planet, and most important of all, it was delicious. patent called Points, uh, points Sprummer Squash. At first they were generous about who they uh, gave the squash seeds to. 
It's better around uh, North America, parts of Europe and Africa and Asia, Russia, Australia. Just to prove to everyone how easily it could grow, even during heightened temperatures of climate. Then Dr. Point uh, took his plan into action. He tightened his grip on the patent and refused to share it for anyone else, with the exception of explicit profits. Started off as currency, uh, the wealthiest companies and the wealthiest corporations and countries were the ones who were able to purchase it and sell it or distribute it. time it was becoming less and less available. And people around the world were starving. And mass migration started to take place because they couldn't grow their own food. The other scientists uh, beckoned Dr. Point. Dr. Point here, really hoarding all this sperm squash. Please, you must lift the patent so that anyone can grow it. Point shook his head and said, No, I've got bigger plans for the squash. It only took several years for Dr. Point to become the wealthiest man on the planet. Because it became much difficult to grow crops around the world, with the exception of his sperm or squash. Eventually, he grew bored of currency and was willing to be paid in various uh, fossil fuel resources, as, as well as wind and solar power facilities. And he threw down patents on all those uh, fuel and energy facilities. So he also controlled the electrical power on the planet as well. kept the scientists around, uh, worked on the sperm or squash, and paid them highly to do insidious things. Some of them left on their base, on their base morality. Others caved and worked for Dr. Point. But still, still, when they, uh, were going through a day where they felt their spine, they asked, Dr. Point, you're trying to own everything. You own all the food distribution. You own all the energy and all the means for transportation. Why don't you lift these patents and spread them around to the world and stop hoarding them? They belong to more than just the highest bidder. And Dr. Point just laughed. Ha ha. No. No way in hell. See, you see, gentlemen, life is like a Monopoly board, and if I'm going to play this game, I'm going to own literally everything. And that's what he did. Eventually, his demands for the 
things he sold were getting a bit sillier. They went beyond currency and resources and went for random artifacts, uh, like suits of armor, old vases. This house was like a giant museum that no one entered in. I wouldn't even call it a house, it was more like a mansion castle. Like three castles in the form of a mansion. Like Citizen Kane, but way more fucked up and silly. You would take medieval, medieval knights of... Medieval suits of armor and... Throw them off bridges on the trampolines. Just watch them, watch them bounce and... Hit cars on the highway and stuff. about several hundred companies that owned almost everything on the planet. And he owned all of them. All of them except for one. There is one little company that specialized in manufacturing Blu-ray players distributing Blu-rays. It was true, Dr. Point uh, owned a patent for all the major show business companies. But still, the Blu-ray company uh, made a special deal uh, for funding homemade movies and short films and independent features and distributed them on Blu-ray for an extremely low cost that almost anyone can afford. Pennies and dimes at most. And they mastered their distribution system so well that almost anyone on the planet could access these Blu-rays. They couldn't start a streaming service because Dr. Point owned all the streaming services, but they could still distribute Blu-rays. Dr. Point tried to stifle these Blu-ray distributions, but then the Blu-ray company kind of turned into like a Knights of Templar kind of thing, and developed a secret mail, mail system, an ATM system, under the powers that were, and those powers were Dr. Point himself. Of course the Blu-ray company stayed hidden. They wouldn't dare be stopped. Uh, by Dr. Point or anyone else. Dr. Point tried to pay Congress to pass laws around the world to not watch all these cool Blu-rays. But still, people still watch them. They were always able to get their hands on them because there were plenty in supply. Eventually, there is one key Blu-ray distributor who's captured, heavily interrogated by officers of Dr. Point. Eventually, Dr. Point paid him a visit, and the Blu-ray distributor spit out some blood, and he just said, I'm never going to tell you anything, man. And Dr. Point said, no, no, you have me all wrong. 
I want everyone to have Blu-rays. I just want to buy you out, you know? Purchase the Blu-ray company. I want to optimize the quality of Blu-rays for everyone around the world. And the Blu-ray distributor just shook his head and said, no, you'll just fuck that up too. Just like you fucked everything else up. The bottom line is that the, this planet is dying. And the threads of humanity are dwindling. Because you own everything and refuse to share. And you will die with this planet. We could have done something to save it, but no. Summer, the Spremer Squash was a ray of hope, but you stifled that too, just like everything else. No, I'll never help you, Dr. Point. I'll never help you even if it kills me. And Dr. Point shrugged and said, uh, so be it. So I told the officers to execute him, and Dr. Point walked out of the room, and no one ever saw that Blu-ray distributor again. But when they did a search of the Blu-ray distributor's belongings, they found various coordinates to various trading points on how they were able to spread around the blue, uh, the blue rays for cute little movies like uh, Mr. Trungles Goes to Town or The Gnome on Gnome Street or even some heightened horror movies like Terror on Scary Lane not all the movies were zinger, zingers but you know Audiences were just appreciative of original entertainment that came from the heart. Which was something that was hard to come by in that in this world. So they sent so Dr. Point sent spies to these trading posts. Some of the Blu-ray operatives caught on some of them weren't wise to it, and the spies infiltrated the trading network successfully. Eventually, the spies were able to map out the whole operation to Dr. Point. When Dr. Point felt like he had all the knowledge that he needed, he commenced an execution plan stifle all these trading posts and to burn down all the hubs where all the Blu-ray players and Blu-ray discs were uh, where they were kept and then burn them all and they imprisoned or executed anyone who's in on the operation Dr. 
Adapter Point felt like it did a great job. He felt like this Blu-ray operation was the last stronghold of humanity organizing itself to spread some joy within itself. And Adapter Point was thrilled to stifle it. last interrogation of the head of the Blu-ray company, a Mr. Schultz. Just to crush out any of the... anyone else who was still distributing Blu-rays. For any T's he didn't cross, and every, I's, every I he didn't dot. Sure, he vanquished it entirely. And talked to Mr. Schultz to see if he truly vanquished it. So, Dr. Point was talking to him. And Mr. Schultz laughed and he was just like, Well, do you have a cigarette? And, Mr. and uh, Dr. Point said, I got a cigar. And Mr. Schultz said, Huh, that'll do, I guess. Mr. Schultz a cigar, and he started smoking it. Then Dr. Schultz pulled out a cigar, uh, Dr. Point pulled out a cigar, and they started smoking together, and they just started laughing for a bit, for no clear reason. vanquished uh, my entire Blu-ray operation. It was my attempt to give uh, power back to the people through entertainment. But you couldn't even let people have that, could you? And Dr. Point said, oh, yeah. You need to go through, going through the process of destroying all your discs as we speak. Schultz said, oh, well, that's a sad thing to hear. And Dr. Point said, why? Are you are you disappointed that your enterprise and mini-empire has crumbled by my hand? And Mr. Schultz laughed again and said, no. Because now we can't see our final project through. said, what final project? And Mr. Schultz says, well, something that we've been working on is sending Blu-rays to space, you know, to see if we can contact any other life uh, outside of Earth. We know you have a space station. We know you have space stations as well, but we're sure you don't know how to use them. You're just trying to militarize and Try to have lasers from space to point at the planet. Pointed at people you don't like. We were trying to contact other worlds and see if we can entertain them and see if they can help our cause to distribute not just entertainment, but freedom. 
because we obviously need the help. And not long before you sent our spies to our organization, we did make contact. The aliens said that they loved our movies and wanted to see more. We also told them about the trouble we were in. said they were happy to vanquish the global dictator because they knew what global fascism was what it was like and were happy to vanquish it uh, with the means that they had we were so thrilled to hear that but you know now that we know that you've destroyed our little movies perhaps humanity really doesn't have a chance then again, maybe you don't either. And then Mr. Schultz started to laugh some more. Ha ha ha! Ha ha! Dr. Point became angry and furious, and then took out a gun and shot him, and that was the end of Mr. Schultz. Dr. Point put the gun away and told his high executive officers... Find any discs that you have left. We're having visitors and we have to show them show, show them some movies. The executive, executive officer said, well, we destroyed them all. And Dr. Point said, just do it, just do it. The next 10 days, every executive and law enforcement officer around the globe under Dr. Point's control. Search for more Blu-ray discs. They rummaged through the ruins of the distribution centers. They ravaged households for anything in hiding. They couldn't find anything. They successfully destroyed all the little movies. All the cheap CGI animation, all the green screen features, all gone. And on the eleventh day, the aliens have come. They arrived on the outskirts of Idaho, where Dr. Point uh, first cracked open his devilish plan. Dr. Point's control, uh, the outskirts of Idaho were still pretty remote. The aliens came down, and Dr. Point came to greet him. And the alien said, oh, you're the one with the, the Blu-rays? And Dr. Point said, yes, that's right. Yes, I am. And he was just like, oh, we'd love to watch some of your movies uh, before we take down your planet's dictator. And Dr. Point said, yeah, that'd be great. had a disc with them, boarded the aliens on their ship. Now, during those ten days during the search, they had a backup plan. Dr. Point ordered a crack team of filmmakers to 
try to make some cool movies on Blu-ray to impress the aliens in case they couldn't find any discs. And they heard that the Blu-ray movies were pretty cheesy and cheap. So they just thought, oh, we'll just do something cheesy and cheap too, you know? Something that they'd be into. So they watched one movie. That was called Party, Party, Party. And the aliens watched it and sat through it. It was about an hour and a half. And Dr. Point watched the aliens. They didn't laugh, they didn't grin. They didn't emote any sadness or pain or empathy. first Dr. Point was thinking, oh, well, they're aliens, you know, maybe they just emote differently than humans. Maybe just they just feel it all internally, or they analyze it on a more intellectual level than humans. Or they just have an entirely different perception of these movies than any human can. But then the movie ended. And the aliens turned to Dr. Point, and one of them said, this isn't the same as the other movies that we saw. Dr. Point was just like, well, what do you mean? You know, it was, it was cheap and quick. You know, what's, what's the problem? And the aliens were just like, yeah, it was cheap and quick, but, you know, the movies we saw had heart. They had meaning. Sure, maybe they were flawed or they w weren't perfect. But they shared something meaningful and original and something entertaining that a lot of people could enjoy. But this... This has the corporate sterility of a global dictator. And Dr. Point said, well, you know, I can t assure you gentlemen that I'm certainly not a global dictator. The aliens looked at each other and then looked at Dr. Point and were just like, oh, we think that you are. Eventually the aliens sealed all the doors. Dr. Point ran and tried to get out. Tried punching the doors, but it was no use. They were vacuum sealed shut. There was a window of the planet Earth in view. And aliens were sending some ships to Earth. And the aliens said, we're destroying all of your law offices and law enforcement centers. Since we assume that you destroyed the Blu-ray distributor, uh, we're going to do what we can to try to educate uh, Earth's people in governing themselves in a way that might have resembled before your, your rule and your reign. It won't be perfect, but it's very clear that we have to take you out of power. watched the planet, saw little explosions of all the monolithic towers and walls that his reign had built, all crumbling down. The statues of him were destroyed. Everything he built and everything he dedicated to global domination were being destroyed by his very eyes. And he 
turned around and saw that the alien had a phaser pointed at him. And without saying a word, the alien shot him. And then Dr. Point died right there on the floor. And as the aliens destroyed all the things that uh, governed uh, Dr. Point's reign on Earth, the only thing that they didn't destroy was the Spremer squash that started it all. Because it was that damn good. Good thing that uh, Dr. Point created. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I think the real Spremer squash would be pretty delicious, you know. That's just my take on it. Yeah. The, the hybrid. The hybrid of spring and summer. <laughs> yeah. Alright, after four more sips of wine, this next story is called Soothing, Refreshing, Terrifying. Everyone needs a good spa day. They needed something soothing, something refreshing. But what they didn't know they need was that they needed something terrifying. <clears throat> That's right. spa opening in Gresham, Oregon called Lazarus Pit Spa and they had a it was soothing and refreshing and had all the things that a person would expect from a spa you know, so, uh, a spa they had a sauna, massage tables some bathing and stuff pedicures and manicures and all that jazz showers and hot tubs or whatever but what they also had was something terrifying now this was something that was advertised you know they'd say it uh, clear in the newspaper ad pamphlets soothing refreshing terrifying people who just heard about the spa that wouldn't quite know what they meant by terrifying. 
But if someone knew someone someone else I went to the spa, it was just like, yeah, it's her new specialty, you know. You know, people go to spas to, like, relax and chill out. But what, uh, Lazarus uh, Pit Spa does is just, uh, towards the end, they just scare the shit out of you, and it scares away all of your anxiety and pain, you know. And you just feel so refreshed after. I highly recommend it. couple Ben and Andy, they knew that they, uh, they thought they were, they heard about the spa, but, uh, Annie was just like, oh, I don't know about, I don't know about the spa, and then Ben was just like, well, it's just the, you know, you like feeling good, right? Feeling bad must also feel good sometimes, and Annie was just like, I don't, uh, I don't know, like, what do they do to scare you? Maybe if they did that, uh, it'd probably help out a bit. Ben was just like, oh, I don't think they tell you explicitly, you know. I think they don't tell you just to add the suspense and then scare you at the end. And then, you know, you go home feeling refreshed and soothed. And Annie was just like, yeah, but if I want to be scared, I'd go to like a, you know, like a haunted hayride or a haunted house or something during Halloween, you know. It's not really I'm some, not something I'm into for a spa experience. And then Ben was just like, "Babe, it's a it's April 28th. I mean, it's April 29th on a leap year. We always something we always do something new, exciting, and adventurous on a leap year day. So why don't we just go to the spa, check it out?" I'll pay for it, it'll be cool. It's just one afternoon of your time. It's a it's a leisurely, you know, Sunday. Nothing else to do. Let's just hang out at the fucking spa, man. And then Annie was just like, oh, well, all right, I guess. I'll, I'll give it a whirl. So they arrive at the spa. Lazarus Pit Spa. The uh, sign was really big and in big letters. Was just like, yeah, it's a really cool name. And Annie was just like, oh, well, I think it's dumb. And then Ben was just like, yeah, well, nobody asked you. And then they both went in, checked in. The clerk was really friendly. She was like, oh, welcome to Lazarus Pit Spa. Soothing, refreshing, terrifying. And then Ben was just like, yeah, we want something like really terrifying. And Annie said, just like, Ben, come on. And then Ben was just like, yeah, just like, sharing, scaring the shit, at, shit out of me, you know? Like, if I don't shit my pants, I want my money back. And then Annie was just like, I mean, I was like, fine, I guess. And the receptionist was just like, well, we got several packages, um, you know, the lowball packages, that's like, you know, we got creepy, and then we got scary. And we got a package that's more uh, experimental. That's called blood curdling. And then Ben was just like, "Ooh, blood curdling! I like the sound of that." And then this receptionist is like, "Well, yeah, well, the term blood curdling, you know, it doesn't come from. It's not a euphemism. 
It's just, uh, we've had some guests that have... Their blood literally curdled from fear, and then they died. So that's why we call it an experimental package. Um, because you might be so scared that you might die from it. And we don't want that to happen, but you do have to sign a waiver to get in. And Ben is just like, oh shit, that sounds so hardcore. And then Andy was just like, Ben, I don't want to sign my fucking life away for a spa. And then Ben was just like, oh, come on, it's probably as likely as, as like, a, as like, as likely as getting struck by lightning, right? And the receptionist said, uh, maybe, uh, two or three times more likely, probably. And then Ben was just like, see, that's not that much, you know, come on. And then he said, well, you know what, fuck it, I'll give it a go. I'll try it. Actually, you know what, fuck it, I want, I just want scary. I want, you know what, I want creepy. Just give me creepy. Ben, you can do something blood-curdling, but I'm not gonna do it. So they signed, uh, their waivers. And he got a waiver anyway, even though she had the lowest package, but there was still a risk, you know. Lazarus Pit Spa was good at what they did. So they started off slow. They started off in the sauna. Sweating out and relaxing. You know, talking about stuff. They were talking about the shortage of bees or something. They talked about Italy. Yeah, I like their shoes. And Ben was just like, yeah, I like I like their hats. And then they both got massages, you know. Side by side. And they're both making pleasurable groans together. time for the part of the spa that was the terrifying part. Now, neither of them knew what to expect, because no one ever told them what happened. But since they got different packages of how terrifying their experiences would be, they would have to be in other rooms. They were side by side, but still, the experiences were separate. presented with uh, the two doors to their respective rooms. And then Annie was just like, well, I guess we're gonna go into our terrifying rooms now. And then Ben was just like, yeah, I'll let you know how it is. Enjoy the, uh, the creepy room. And she was just like, well, I'll try. You know, it looked similar to the 
saw bathroom, but much, much cleaner. And the door was locked. And she was given the safe word of banana, in case it was too scary. But she sat alone with the room and in the room and didn't know what to expect. She just waited, and then just thought, huh, is this waiting part of the fear? Is this like the suspense building? And then she started to feel a little tickling by her feet. And she looked down, and it was a cockroach crawling on her foot. And she lifted her feet up, and she was just like, oh, Jesus Christ, oh, shit. Eventually, there are multiple cockroaches on the floor crawling around. And there are some worms falling on her from uh, unknown openings on the ceiling. There are some crevices between tiles, so she tried to sit in a spot that wasn't directly beneath any crevices, but still, this wasn't something precise, and... Some insects landed on her anyway. But she was just sitting alone on her, on her seat. And she was just like, oh my god, how did the spa know that I was freaked out by insects? Oh shit. So she sat alone and just, she was just like, oh, just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. Actually, some cockroaches were calling on her and she tried to like flick them off. They kept coming. She started to have her knees by her chest and started to wrap her arms around them. Taking a deep breath, shaking back and forth, just being like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. More bugs crawled on her, and then at a certain point she was just like, you know what, this is just... At this point I gotta accept the fear ride it out until it's over. And then she started to feel a little bit better. You know, accepting the fear and whatnot. Sure, it was unpleasant. But coexisting with it made her feel better as a person. And she was starting to under understand, like, oh, I think I'll f now I know why people can see this as, as re relaxing. Yeah, conquering your fear. I can see how this can be cathartic. These bugs can't hurt me, you know? Yeah, I, I can get into this. It's like watching like a good horror movie or something. So she sat alone and started to laugh at the bugs, just like, oh, look at that one, you know, skipping around and stuff. Uh, centipede, you know. And there's one millipede. She's like, oh, middle, middle, millipede, you know, so many legs. Ha! Eventually she was laughing at all the bugs and how silly they looked, crawling around, and then she started to just get into it and watch them all. And then she couldn't believe it, but she was starting to get like a little bit relaxed, thinking again, yeah, yeah, I can definitely get into this. And then she heard screams from the other room. Ah! Ah! It was Ben. 
he was screaming for his life, it sound like. He kept screaming, ah, I forgot the safe word, ah. And then Annie was just like, oh, um, shit. The screams kept going. But Annie was just like, well, I guess my spa session isn't over, so I guess I'll just ride it out. Ben can handle it. He's tough. Twenty minutes went by. The screaming already stopped. And then Annie walked out of her room, feeling surprisingly soothed and refreshed. And yes, terrified, but in a good way. And then she was like, Ben? Ben? She looked in Ben's room, and it was very similar to her room same tiled room with like a bench to sit on but Ben was just sitting alone in his towel he was hunched over with his elbows on his knees just staring dead ahead staring in his face and he, and he said uh, Ben with the session's over it's time for us to you know check out and go but Ben didn't say anything just a blank stare forward walked in and rubbed them on the shoulder of Ben, and then Ben jumped up and leaned back, and he was just like, oh, Annie. And Annie was just like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta get going. And then Ben was just like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. So they started to check out. Annie ended up paying for it because uh, Ben was too catatonic. And Annie was driving them home. Ben was just sitting with his seatbelt unbuckled, staring out the window. And he was just like, yeah, I, was re I really uh, enjoyed it more than I was expecting, you know. I mean, there were a lot of bugs in my room, and it was kind of creeping me out. But overall, I kind of overcame that fear, and then that's when, like, the relaxation kicked in, you know. So, yeah, I'm down for going back to that place. I'm going to tell everyone about it. And then she looked at Ben and was just like, well, what happened in your room? And Ben was just like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, don't worry about it. And Ben wouldn't talk all night. They'd sleep alone in bed together, and Ben would just like quietly sob. And he woke up and then went to the kitchen and saw, uh, Ben sit with a bowl of cereal with no milk in it. And Annie was just like, hey Ben, do you want any uh, milk in your cereal? And then uh, Ben was just like, oh, no, what, nah, nah. too much detail, but I think, tell me about what happened in your room, you know, I think you should tell me about it and talk about it, you probably feel better, and the balance is like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it, 
land use as well as anything like illegal. This is something that we have to call a hotline for. And then Belmont's is like, no, no, it's just um, no, I, I still, I just don't want to talk about it. That, that's all. It changed the dynamic of their relationship. Annie was more, more relaxed, but Ben became more reserved. Occasionally, like, scream uh, every few days. Eventually, uh, a week went by and Annie was getting concerned, so she called the spa. And she was just like, Hi, uh, I, I checked in your spa, me, me and my boyfriend uh, checked in your spa um, about a week ago. Um, I had a good experience with all the creepy bugs and stuff. And then the receptionist was like, oh yeah, we handpick all of our bugs. Like, top of line stuff. Like, really fucking creepy. We're like in touch with a bug museum that helps us out. And it's fucking cool, right? And then he was just like, yeah, I'm definitely coming back and telling everyone about about it. But, uh, but, uh, my boyfriend, he got the, uh, the blood, per blood curdling package. And, um, he's barely spoken in a week. So I just want to know, like, what happened to him, or, like, what he saw, you know, just so I can, like, help him, like, you know, get out of it. Because I don't think he was as relaxed by it as I was. And the receptionist says, oh, no, we got a... We got the blood-curdling package? Well, I think if you just ask him, you know, he can tell you. And then he said, yeah, I tried asking, and he won't talk about it. And then the receptionist said, well, we're not at uh, liberty to disclose the blood-curdling package. However, we, what, we, what we try to do is we try to do research on all of our guests, you know. We definitely have, like, some, like, templates of what we go by. But, uh, we just try to do what we can, and, um... Actually, hold on, let me, uh, let me put, put you on hold for a minute. So she put Annie on hold. receptionist was like, yeah, so I haven't taken the blood-curdling uh, experience in quite some time, and I haven't really tried out every template. Um, all I know is that it had to do with clowns. And then Annie was just like, clowns? And then the receptionist was like, yeah, yeah, clowns. And then Annie was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Ben was freaked out by goddamn clowns? Not everyone gets clowns, but I think he got clowns, so I don't know what happened in that room, but yeah, it had something to do with clowns. So Annie got off the phone and then confronted Ben again, and she said, Ben, did the, uh, did the blood-curdling room have anything to do with clowns? Ben gave her a cold, passionate, empty look and just started to scream repeatedly like an hour. Eventually, uh, Annie left the house and went for a walk. And then she returned, and Ben was catatonic once again. And 
he said, Ben, it was just a room experience. It's just a clown, you know. I love that they're waver and they don't make any, like, physical contact, so you're just presented with clowns, and is that what freaked you out? about the clowns. They revealed clowns in ways that I've never seen them before. The true nature of clowns. The true terror of them. They're not just happy-go-lucky entertainers. They provoke fear in the deepest part of the heart. And I don't know how I can see life again the same way again. Especially with clowns. I used to love the circus, babe. Now I can't go to the circus anymore. So Annie took a risk and she went back to the spa and signed up for another package. This time for the blood curdling package. She was just like, oh, and give me the, uh, the clown template. And the receptionist was explaining, uh, who was new there, was just like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's an experimental package, you know, some people have had their blood curdled. I was just like, yeah, I get it. My boyfriend is really fucked up by it. Just give it to me, you know? Give me the clowns. And the receptionist was like, okay, sure. So Annie got the, had the sauna. She had the massage. And then she was in the terrifying room. And she sat there alone, waiting for the clowns. Now her room was very bright a very bright bathroom. And this room looked the same, but then it got suddenly dark red, and she could barely see anything. The corners of the room were dark. And suddenly a clown walked in front of her. disturbed already. Like, it looked like a normal clown, but in the red lighting, pretending that the room didn't have a scary ambience was already creepy enough. And she was just like, alright, this is way creepier than the bugs already. And the clown was doing like a happy, creepy, uh, clown dance. simple entertainment routine, doing like the balloon animals and stuff. Started off silly, you know, the clown made a dog and then gave it to Annie. And the clown made like a, another little dog, gave it to Annie. And then the clown made a sword and then almost gave it to Annie, but then pulled it back.
then took a little, uh, Bobby took a little pin and then popped one of the sections of the sword. And then tried to use the pin to pop the other sections of the twisted sword. But the pin wasn't working. And then the clown looked confused and sad. And then lifted up its index finger, uh, like it had an idea. So the clown took out a dagger. And then started to pop the section of the sword. And then, dagger got then the clown got really into stabbing the sword. So excited that the clown started to stab himself repeatedly. And then started to bleed out all over the floor. And the Annie was just like, oh Jesus Christ, holy shit. Repeatedly the clown started stabbing all parts of his body. just laid there dead. And Annie was just like, oh fuck, that's um, some hella special effects. And Annie was just like, uh, hey, are you dead? And the clown just laid there, you know, motionless. And then two more clowns arrived from the darkness, and Annie was just like, where the fuck did they come from? friend and then looked at each other and looked very confused and sad. So then they took their own daggers and started to stab each other. More blood bleeding out on the original dead clown and bleeding out on each other. Bleeding out all over the floor. And then it was just like, Jesus Christ, oh my god. Eventually, three dead clowns were piled up on the floor. And then from the darkness, three more clowns appeared. They looked at the three other dead clowns, confused and sad. And then they took out their own daggers and then started to stab, stab themselves and each other, all bleeding out. Blood literally everywhere, blend, bl blending in with the red light. And now there was like a pile of dead clowns, six of them on the floor. And then Annie was just like, Jesus Christ, how many clowns do I have to watch die? Oh my God. And she saw the six clowns uh, on the floor. And she was like, I think I'm just gonna leave the room. Um, so tried to, she tried to go to the door, but it was locked. And she was just like, oh fuck, I forgot the safe word. Eventually she heard movement in the room. She turned around and saw the dead clowns. But they started to move a little bit. They started to rise slowly like zombies. She looked at their faces, and their faces were dead. Their eyes were blank and pale like that of a dead creature. But their faces were painted very happy. And they all started to walk toward Annie. And she was just like, no, no, you're not, you're not, we're not supposed to touch the guests. I read that in the waiver. No, 
and I started to walk slowly toward her. Closer and closer. She started to sit on the floor. I was just like, oh, please, God, no. And they all took their little, uh, little flowers pinned to their chests. And I started to squirt blood over her. And she was just like, oh, my God, this is the fucking worst. And they started to squirt all their blood all over her from all the orifices that they stabbed. stepped away and once again disappeared into the darkness suddenly the lights turned back on white and all the blood on her was gone and then the door unlocked and then she opened it and kind of rushed out she found a trash can nearby and vomited near it she saw a label on the trash can that said for the blood curdling experience. And she was like, okay, that makes sense. Eventually, she went back to her house. Ben was sitting alone at the kitchen table once again. Annie sat down, sat down next to him, held his hand, and said, I took the blood curdling experience. I saw the clowns. Ben looked at her, finally feeling understood. And then he said, I think I had an easier time because I took the creepy package first and then built up to it. But it was still awful and I get it. But I think it's going to be a couple years before I can ever go back to the circus. Starkly. <laughs> Damn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright. After two more sips of wine, I'm gonna do one more. Ah, yes, of course, it would be this one. This one is called Weird Primordial Creature Read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> An extra two sips of wine. Let's see how this unfolds.
Every time Roger drive down, drove down the highway during the summer, he always hated the evangelical tents that would prop up. Just these hackneyed churches. Asking people for money who don't have it and they give it anyway. He wasn't a fan of Christianity in, ge Christianity in general, but... He recognized that the Bible and some of the Christianity's teachings had some wisdom to it, you know. But the evangelicals just took it to a dark place. The preachers were always hollowed out. And would always ask for the most random shit. And you'd always see the tents up and people really celebrating it and being really into it. Roger would just be like, yeah, when are they going to ask for pints of blood next, you know? He considered it a rot on humanity. That not only these tents existed, but they were able to pull people into their vortex. And sell them bullshit and call it a sweet wisdom juice or whatever. He went to one evangelical tent as a kid because his parents were into it. And that was a phrase he, uh, you know, he remembered. Sweet wisdom juice. Never left him. Jesus was full of it. He remember recently driving down the highway and hearing one preacher say, you know, use your stimulus check to stimulate Jesus. stick to his stomach. <clears throat> but then one day he was driving back from work and he saw this one tent that looked a little bit different than the other others. It wasn't a white tent like the others. Uh, the best way to describe it that it looked more metal. black tent with metal crosses everywhere. Some of them were Celtic, some of them were just uh, melded together with rods. Like it was a super metal cemetery that surrounded the tent. And when you drive by it, there was like a lot of wicked cool heavy metal music that would be coming out of it. Just like these sick death metal licks. These killer dr double bass drum solos. And he was just like, is there a metal concert in town? What's going on here? Roger thought it was just like a typical evangelical tent, but I don't know, maybe to him it was, it was something more. So against his better judgment, he was just like, you know what, I'll just check this tent out. I'm not going to give them any of my money, but I just want to see what it is. He went, on a, he went on a Sunday, an extra busy day for evangelicals and churchgoers and whatnot. And he looked around and it seemed like the typical, you know, church-going crowd and whatnot. 
people that needed Jesus or the Bible or whatever. But he went in the tent and, for lack of a better phrase, it looked metal as fuck. Sure, there was churchgoers, but there were also people that looked like super goth, you know, were really punk, wearing a lot of metal or just like a lot of like DIY gear and health goth stuff. Roger looked around, and he's just like, okay, well, this is pretty badass, you know, I gotta say. There are a bunch of paintings around of, uh, you know, that looked like they were painted in blood and all that. Mostly painted, either paintings of monsters or paintings of hell and stuff. Like, artistic paintings of hell, you know, not just, like, Satan or whatever. You know, some of them took under, took place under the earth. Some had volcanoes. Some were just, like, desolate, gray, uh, desert wastelands. And Roger was just like, hey, alright, it was... I like the vibe here, you know? A bit more open than the other evangelical stuff. Everyone was in, you know, in church, ready to go. And then a preacher came up on the, uh, on the stage. And he said, alright. <coughs> Glad to see you all here. Uh, I hope you brought your all your love and faith with you. Now, I've done my rounds to different uh, churches all around the country, spoken in many different places, and I've never been more inspired uh, than this uh, upcoming speaker here. Now, he doesn't speak uh, English in the way that you know it, so I'll be doing some translating. I'm sure some of you diehards out there already uh, know his language and know what's up. Some of the more gothier uh, guests were just like, yeah! And then the preacher was just like, alright, that's right, that's right. So, yeah, I'm not gonna waste time with introductions. This guest needs no introduction. I'm just gonna bring him out and just hear out what he has to say. Alright, ladies and gentlemen. I present to you, there's a big applause all throughout the audience, and this, you know, this Catullian, Lovecraftian, slimy type of creature walks onto the stage, probably two and a half size of, a, of an average human, and he takes to the podium grabs the mic, but with his tentacles. He's got like 16 eyes. Um, two mouths in the shape of like tubes. Three nostrils. Four arms. Two legs and like a, that are shaped like uh, goat legs and like a slug tail sliding behind him. Lovecraft was there, he would uh, describe the creature as indescribable. 
but also Lovecraft didn't quite think critically, did he? Not as often as he should have. Or even could have? I don't know. So the creature started to speak. And the preacher translated. I have roamed the stars for many eons, taken many shapes and forms. I have existed in the natural world. And I have existed in spirit ethereal realms that you humans call spirit realms, in heavens and hells, in purgatories, purgatories and limbos. I've seen much of what the cosmos has to offer, and I have barely seen any of it. And as I've traveled these eons, I found my way on a humble asteroid called Earth, dwelt underground, underneath the sea. I've seen life first crop up here, in the form of plants, in the form of fish nurtured by light and water. And then I saw the humans develop. They developed language and the ability to tell stories and to make art, to build shelters and to build cities, to create fire. Whenever I hear them communicate to each other, I'm just like, oh, they're just talking about random shit. They don't, any, they don't know anything about what's really going on. That's what I thought about humans. Until I heard about a man called Jesus. Some of you already know Jesus. He's well known. He was born as the son of God. Spent his life preaching about the ways of God and the way of giving and loving, the way of acceptance. Many of you humans took it in the wrong direction, but I'm here today to steer it back in the right direction. You know, the first time I read the Bible, I was skeptical, but reading more into it, I'm now a believer. I love Christianity and Catholicity, may not conform to any specific realm of Christianity, but holy cow do I love Jesus. Praise the Lord. And then everyone shouted, praise the Lord. Some of the diehards, uh, you know, said it in the native tongue of... So please, any dollars or cents that you can donate to keep this church going, we'd really appreciate it. Me and my other primordial, primordial brethren, we've been traveling the countryside, trying to spread the word of Jesus. I know many people don't believe. Many people go to the way of science and all that jazz. Don't believe in superstitions and whatnot. But as someone who's traveled to space and stars, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the way. Passing out collection place, plates and giving out dollars. And Roger was just like, Are you fucking kidding me? This fucking monster that's 
dwell, dwells in the abyss and is preaching about Jesus? Like, what's, what's going on here? And the guy next to him was just like, yeah, man, he's seen it all. Think about it this way. He's seen it all, and he's still into Jesus. So fucking metal. And then Roger was just like, no, it's not. It's... What? I don't know what's... What? But Roger was still curious. So the sermon and ceremony ended. It ended with a metal show, like all good uh, church sermons do. I invited Mushroom Head and Nine Inch Nails. So they were cleaning up, setting up, cleaning up the trash and whatnot. Roger could hear some people being like, yeah, I first started coming for the metal shows, but now I'm all into Jesus. It's fucking great. And Roger was just like, I gotta, went to the, uh, one of the organizers and was just like, hey, I gotta, can I talk to the preacher, you know? organizer was just like, oh, our, uh, our preacher uh, has a lot of people to talk to all day. He often gets very tired during a sermon. And then the translator was just like, no, no, let him talk. He's always down for chatting. No, come on, follow me. So Roger followed the translator uh, and met the preacher in his uh, quarters in his trailer. translator was just like, you know, if you don't speak his language, you can just call him the preacher. So the translator knocked on his door was just like, oh, preacher, we got a, we got a new guest here. Uh, I think it's his first time at the tent, you know. Wanted to chat with you for a bit. And then the preacher made a noise in his uh, native tongue, and then the tra translator was just like, yeah, he says to come in. I can stick around and translate and stuff. And then Roger was just like, um, Okay, so where do you where do you come from? And the preacher went into it with the translator speaking. You know, well, I come from the stars. You know, come from eons. I don't remember where I was born. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember creating myself. I haven't met the Christian God, but you know, I'm pretty sure he's the dude that did it all. You know, I wish I could have met Jesus. You know, while he was on Earth, but you know, day late and a dollar short, as they say. Roger was just like, okay, yeah, but you're like a, you're like a primordial dude, you know. You're like what ancient cultures was just like, oh yes, this is the primordial essence of like being and stuff. Like you come from that. Like you gotta, surely you gotta know what's up more than what Jesus was talking about. And then the preacher laughed, and then said. You know, that's what I thought. But then I read the Bible and learned about a whole new light. I've converted some of my other uh, primordial brethren as well, and we tour the countryside together. Tour the planet, actually. We're thinking about taking our road trip to the stars. See if I can convince other primordial beings uh, who fly through space about the ways of Jesus and the Lord, our Savior. 
You know, you're welcome to come with us if you want to learn more, if you're that curious. And Roger was just like, okay, yeah, but I can't just, like, drop any everything and just, you know, be an evangelist. Uh, evangelicalism. I don't even, can't, can't even pronounce the word. Like, why would I join you? And then, and then the preacher was just like, well, why not join us? And then Roger was just like, um, I don't know. I guess I could see what's up for a little bit, you know, take some days off work and stuff. At least that's what Roger thought he was doing. But what ended up happening was Roger was eventually all in to what the weird primordial creature was selling. And there were like other evangelical uh, tent gatherings, but there were a lot more metal. Started off in touring in uh, North America. Started off in the U.S. and then to Canada, and then eventually went southward to Mexico and uh, further down to uh, Latin America and South America, and then eventually went down to the abyss of the oceans uh, using submarines and doing preaching there. And then found an undersea cavern and went into hell and started to preach in hell. Kind of a weird place to preach about God, but you know, some demons were into it. And Roger was just like, I can't believe I get to see these abysmal uh, underwater primordial cities and all these hellscapes. Eventually the tour went further and further. They were traveling space and stars and dimensions. Eventually, uh, Roger didn't need any didn't need any breathe didn't need any breathing apparatus equipment. Just the exposure to the primordial beasts. He was also became becoming resilient to the vacuum of space and territories without oxy, oxygen or sunlight or water. And Roger asked the preacher once, like, "What's the what is this power that you're bestowing upon me?" And the primordial creature said, "That's the that's the power of Jesus." So they went on traveling, preaching about the Lord, trying to make it a from an earthly religion to a intergalactic religion, an interdimensional religion. A lot of primordial creatures were not into it. They were just like fucking fuck Jesus and the human shit. We're not into it. But some people converted. Some people went to their gatherings. More often than not, they uh, circled back to the Bible Belt in the United States. Scott, that had the best crowds and the best metal shows. Eventually, the weird primordial creature was getting sick. Roger asked him once, like, how do you get sick? I thought you, I thought you were immortal. Preacher said, No, I'm not immortal. Everything dies eventually, and I've been around for eons. My time will come soon, and someone will have to pass the torch. Some more primordial creatures came on the road tours, would also do some speaking. Some more metal acts would play at their tents, 
This went on for a number of years until the preacher eventually died. Everyone was heartbroken. And at the funeral, uh, which was a huge affair that where thousands of people showed up, and a couple hundred primordial creatures from around the galaxy, the translator pulled Roger aside, and he said, you know, based on our private conversations uh, between me and the preacher, he always said he wanted you to pick up the torch. And Roger said, oh, I, I don't think I'm ready for that. translator said, oh, you're ready. Just give it a go. So that's what Roger did, you know. He gave it a go. He started preaching. He became an evangelicalist. Evangelical. And he, uh, was actually good at it. He was able to raise money to fund a tour. But over time, the more he did it, his shows became less metal. There's something about having a weird primordial creature making uh, Jesus shows a lot more metal, but the goth, the goth crowd started to fade out. The primordial crowd started to fade out. They're starting to lose money for the metal shows because Roger needed it for his private jet. And over the course of years, uh, the sermons and shows, they just became like a regular evangelical show and Roger was still good on it he was always able to draw the typical Bible crowd and even though he was immersed in it one thing he didn't realize was that he became the thing that he once hated Yeah. yeah, that was that was a yeah. That was a wild fun ride. That was a <laughs> <Christ>. yeah. <laughs> ah, shit. Praise Jesus. There's some. There's yeah. There's a. That's a that's a finger for sure. No, that is how I felt when missionaries would come to the door. I'm like, could be was that again? I'm like, what you saying? I don't have an interpreter. I'm sorry. All I'm hearing is. Well, that was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. The Spook Vortex closing once again. By lizards. By lizards, yeah. Yeah, Mark Maron's Blizzard Portal. Anyway, good night. That was good. That was, that was, they, were, they, were, they were all like really solid stories. Like they were all. What just happened with that clown? Like literally left. So yeah, what happened? Uh, <laughs> what happened with that one is um, so the spa had a uh, had three packages for scary. They had creepy, scary, and blood curdling. <laughs>